Section 28 of Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 4, by John Calvin. Translated by Henry Beveridge. Chapter 15, Part 1. Of Baptism. There are two parts of this chapter. One, Dissertation on the Two Ends of Baptism, sections 1 through 13. Two, the second part may be reduced to four heads. Of the Use of Baptism, sections 14, 15. Of the Worthiness or Unworthiness of the Minister, sections 16 through 18. Of the Corruptions by which this Sacrament was Polluted, section 19 to whom references had in the dispensation, sections 20 through 22. Sections 1. Baptism defined. Its primary object, this consists of three things. First, to attest the forgiveness of sins. 2. Passages of Scripture proving the forgiveness of sins. 3. Forgiveness not only of past, but also of future sins this no encouragement to license in sin. 4. Refutation of those who share forgiveness between baptism and repentance. 5. Second thing in baptism, that is, to teach that we are engrafted into Christ for mortification and newness of life. 6. Third thing in baptism, that is, to teach us that we are united to Christ so as to be partakers of all his blessings, second and third things conspicuous in the baptism both of John and the Apostles. 7. Identity of the baptism of John and the Apostles. 8. An objection to this refuted. 9. The benefits of baptism typified to the Israelites by the passage of the Red Sea and the pillar of cloud. 10. Objection of those who imagine that there is some kind of perfect renovation after baptism. Original depravity remains after baptism. Its existence in infants. The elect after baptism are righteous in this life only by imputation. 11. Original corruption trying to the pious during the whole course of their lives. They do not, on this account, seek a license for sin they rather walk more cautiously and safely in the ways of the Lord. 12. The trouble occasioned by corruption, shown by the example and testimony of the Apostle Paul. 13. Another end of baptism is to serve as our confession to men. 14. Second part of the chapter, of baptism as a confirmation of our faith. 15. This illustrated by the examples of Cornelius and Paul of the use of baptism as a confession of faith. 16. Baptism not affected by the worthiness or unworthiness of the minister, hence no necessity to rebaptize those who were baptized under the papacy. 17. Nothing in the argument that those so baptized remained some years blind and unbelieving. The promise of God remains firm. God, in inviting the Jews to repentance, 
does not enjoin them to be again circumcised. 18. No ground to allege that Paul rebaptized certain of John's disciples. The baptism of John, what is it to be baptized in the name of Christ? 19. The corruptions introduced into baptism. The form of pure Christian baptism, immersion or sprinkling, should be left free. 20. To whom the dispensation of baptism belongs, not to private individuals or women, but to the ministers of the church, origin of the baptism of private individuals and women, an argument in favor of it refuted. 21. Exploded also by Tertullian and Epiphanius. 22. Objection founded on the case of Zipporah. Answer. Children dying before baptism not excluded from heaven, provided the want of it was not caused by negligence or contempt. 1. Baptism is the initiatory sign by which we are admitted to the fellowship of the church, that being ingrafted into Christ we may be accounted children of God. Moreover, the end for which God has given it, this I have shown to be common to all mysteries, is first that it may be conducive to our faith in Him, and secondly that it may serve the purpose of a confession among men. The nature of both institutions we shall explain in order. Baptism contributes to our faith three things which require to be treated separately. The first object, therefore, for which it is appointed by the Lord, is to be a sign and evidence of our purification, or better to explain my meaning, it is a kind of sealed instrument by which he assures us that all our sins are so deleted, covered, and effaced, that they will never come into his sight, never be mentioned, never imputed. For it is his will that all who have believed be baptized for the remission of sins. Hence those who have thought that baptism is nothing else than the badge and mark by which we profess our religion before men, in the same way as soldiers attest their profession by bearing the insignia of their commander, having not attended to what was the principal thing in baptism, and this is, that we are to receive it in connection with the promise, quote, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, end quote. Mark chapter 16, verse 16. 2. In this sense it is to be understood the statement of Paul that, quote, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word, end quote. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25, 26. And again, quote, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. End quote. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Peter also says that, quote, Baptism also doth now save us. End quote. First Peter chapter 3, verse 21. For he did not mean to intimate that our ablution and salvation are perfected by water, or that water possesses in itself 
the virtue of purifying, regenerating, and renewing. Nor does he mean that it is the cause of salvation, but only that the knowledge and certainty of such gifts are perceived in this sacrament. This the words themselves evidently show, for Paul connects together the word of life and baptism of water, as if he had said, by the gospel the message of our ablution and sanctification is announced. By baptism this message is sealed. And Peter immediately subjoins that that baptism is, quote, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, which is of faith. End quote. Nay, the only purification which baptism promises is by means of the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, who is figured by water from the resemblance to cleansing and washing, who then can say that we are cleansed by that water, which certainly attests that the blood of Christ is our true and only labor, so that we cannot have a better argument to refute the hallucination of those who ascribe the whole to the virtue of water, then we derive from the very meaning of baptism, which leads us away as well from the visible element which is presented to our eye as from all other means, that it may fix our minds on Christ alone. 3. Nor is it to be supposed that baptism is bestowed only with reference to the past, so that, in regard to new lapses into which we fall after baptism, we must seek new remedies of expiation, in other so-called sacraments, just as if the power of baptism had become obsolete. To this error, in ancient times, it was owing that some refused to be initiated by baptism until their life was in extreme danger, and they were drawing their last breath, that they might thus obtain pardon for all the past. Against this preposterous precaution, ancient bishops frequently inveigh in their writings, we ought to consider that at whatever time we are baptized, we are washed and purified once for the whole of life. Wherefore, as often as we fall, we must recall the remembrance of our baptism, and thus fortify our minds, so as to feel certain and secure of the remission of sins. For though, when once administered, it seems to have passed, it is not abolished by subsequent sins. For the purity of Christ was therein offered to us, always is in force, and is not destroyed by any stain, it wipes and washes away all our defilements. Nor must we hence assume a license of sinning for the future. There is certainly nothing in it to countenance such audacity. But this doctrine is intended only for those who, when they have sinned, groan under their sins, burdened and oppressed, that they may have wherewith to support and console themselves, and not rush headlong into despair. Thus Paul says that Christ was made a propitiation for us for the remission of sins that are past. Romans 3, verse 25. By this he denies, not that constant and perpetual forgiveness of sins is thereby obtained even till death, he only intimates that it is designed by the Father for those poor sinners who, wounded by remorse of conscience, sigh for the physician. To these the mercy of God is offered, 
those who from hopes of impunity seek a license for sin only provoke the wrath and justice of god four i know it is a common belief that forgiveness which at our first regeneration we receive by baptism alone is after baptism procured by means of penitence and the keys see chapter nineteen section seventeen but those who entertain this fiction err from not considering that the power of the keys of which they speak so depends on baptism that it ought not on any account to be separated from it the sinner receives forgiveness by the ministry of the church in other words not without the preaching of the gospel and of what nature is this preaching that we are washed from our sins by the blood of christ and what is the sign and evidence of that washing if it be not baptism we see then that that forgiveness has reference to baptism this error had its origin in the fictitious sacrament of penance on which i have already touched what remains will be said at the proper place there is no wonder if men who from the grossness of their minds are excessively attached to external things have here also betrayed the defect if not contented with the pure institution of god they have introduced new helps devised by themselves as if baptism were not itself a sacrament of penance but if repentance is recommended during the whole of life the power of baptism ought to have the same extent wherefore there can be no doubt that all the godly may during the whole course of their lives whenever they are vexed by a consciousness of their sins recall the remembrance of their baptism that they may thereby assure themselves of that soul and perpetual ablution which we have in the blood of christ five another benefit of baptism is that it shows us our mortification in christ and new life in him Quote, know ye not says the apostle that as many of us as were baptized into jesus christ were baptized into his death therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that we should walk in newness of life romans six verses three four by these words he not only exhorts us to imitation of christ as if he had said that we are admonished by baptism in like manner as christ died to die to our lusts and as he rose to rise to righteousness but he traces the matter much higher that christ by baptism has made us partakers of his death engrafting us into it and as the twig derives substance and nourishment from the root to which it is attached so those who receive baptism with true faith truly feel the efficacy of christ's death in the mortification of their flesh and the efficacy of his resurrection in the quickening of the spirit on this he founds his exhortation that if we are christians we should be dead unto sin and alive unto righteousness he elsewhere uses the same argument that is that we are circumcised and put off the old man after we are buried in christ by baptism colossians two verse twelve and in this sense in the passage which we formerly quoted he calls it quote, the washing of regeneration 
and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Titus, chapter 3, verse 5. We are promised, first, the free pardon of sins and imputation of righteousness, and secondly, the grace of the Holy Spirit to form us again to newness of life. 6. The last advantage which our faith receives from baptism is its assuring us not only that we are engrafted into the death and life of Christ, but so united to Christ himself as to be partakers of all his blessings. For he consecrated and sanctified baptism in his own body, that he might have it in common with us as the firmest bond of union and fellowship which he deigned to form with us, and hence Paul proves us to be the sons of God, from the fact that we put on Christ in baptism. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. Thus we see the fulfillment of our baptism in Christ, whom for this reason we call the proper object of baptism. Hence it is not strange that the apostles are said to have baptized in the name of Christ, though they were enjoined to baptize in the name of the Father and Spirit also. Acts chapter 8, verse 16, chapter 19, verse 5, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. For all the divine gifts held forth in baptism are found in Christ alone. And yet he who baptizes into Christ cannot but at the same time invoke the name of the Father and the Spirit. For we are cleansed by his blood, just because our gracious Father, of his incomparable mercy, willing to receive us into favor, appointed him mediator to effect our reconciliation with himself. Regeneration we obtained from his death and resurrection only. When sanctified by his Spirit, we are imbued with a new and spiritual nature. Wherefore we obtain, and in a manner distinctively perceive, in the Father the cause, in the Son the matter, and in the Spirit the effect of our purification and regeneration. Thus first John baptized, and thus afterwards the apostles, by the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, understanding by the term repentance, regeneration, and by the remission of sins, ablution. 7. This makes it perfectly certain that the ministry of John was the very same as that which was afterwards delegated to the apostles. For the different hands by which baptism is administered do not make it a different baptism, but sameness of doctrine proves it to be the same. John and the apostles agreed in one doctrine, both baptized unto repentance, both for the remission of sins, both in the name of Christ, from whom repentance and remission of sins proceed. John pointed to him as the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29 thus describing him as the victim accepted of the Father, the propitiation of righteousness, and the author of salvation. What could the apostles add to this confession? Wherefore let no one be perplexed, because ancient writers labor to distinguish the one from the other. Their views ought not to be in such esteem with us as to shake the certainty of Scripture. For who would listen to Chrysostom, denying that remission of sins was included in the baptism of John, rather than to Luke asserting, on the contrary, that John preached, 
quote, the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, close quote. Luke chapter 3, verse 3. Nor can we admit Augustine's subtlety that by the baptism of John sins were forgiven in hope, but by the baptism of Christ are forgiven in reality. For seeing the evangelist clearly declares that John in his baptism promised the remission of sins, why detract from this eulogium when no necessity compels it? Should any one ask what difference the word of God makes, he will find it to be nothing more than that John baptized in the name of him who was to come, the apostles in the name of him who was already manifested. Luke chapter 3, verse 16, Acts chapter 19, verse 4. 8. This fact that the gifts of the Spirit were more liberally poured out after the resurrection of Christ does not go to establish a diversity of baptisms. For baptism, administered by the apostles while he was still on the earth, was called his baptism, and yet the Spirit was not poured out in larger abundance on it than on the baptism of John. Nay, not even after the ascension did the Samaritans receive the Spirit above the ordinary measure of former believers, till Peter and John were sent to lay hands on them. Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. I imagine that the thing which imposed on ancient writers, and made them say that the one baptism was only a preparative to the other, was because they read that those who had received the baptism of John were again baptized by Paul. Acts chapter 19, verses 3 through 5, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. How greatly they are mistaken in this will be most clearly explained in its own place. Why then did John say that he baptized with water, but there was one coming who would baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire? This may be explained in a few words. He did not mean to distinguish the one baptism from the other, but he contrasted his own person with the person of Christ, saying that while he was a minister of water, Christ was the giver of the Holy Spirit, and would declare this virtue by a visible miracle on the day on which he would send the Holy Spirit on the apostles under the form of tongues of fire. What greater boast could the apostles make, and what greater those who baptize in the present day? For they are only ministers of the external sign, whereas Christ is the author of internal grace, as those same ancient writers uniformly teach, and, in particular, Augustine, who, in his refutation of the Donatists, found chiefly on this axiom, whoever it is that baptizes, Christ alone presides. 9. The things which we have said, both of mortification and ablution, were adumbrated among the people of Israel, who for that reason are described by the apostle of having been baptized in the cloud and in the sea. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2. Mortification was figured when the Lord, vindicating them from the hand of Pharaoh and from cruel bondage, paved a way for them through the Red Sea, and drowned Pharaoh himself and their Egyptian foes, who were pressing close behind and threatening them with destruction. For in this way also he promises us in baptism, 
and shows by a given sign that we are led by his might and delivered from the captivity of egypt that is from the bondage of sin that our pharaoh is drowned in other words the devil although he ceases not to try and harass us but as that egyptian was not plunged into the depth of the sea but cast out upon the shore still alarmed the israelites by the terror of his look though he could not hurt them so our enemy still threatens shows his arms and is felt but cannot conquer the cloud was a symbol of purification numbers chapter nine verse eighteen for as the lord then covered them by an opposite cloud and kept them cool that they might not faint or pine away under the burning rays of the sun so in baptism we perceive that we are covered and protected by the blood of christ lest the wrath of god which is truly an intolerable flame should lie upon us although the mystery was then obscure and known to few yet as there is no other method of obtaining salvation than in those two graces god was pleased that the ancient fathers whom he had adopted as heirs should be furnished with both badges ten it is now clear how false the doctrine is which some long ago taught and others still persist in that by baptism we are exempted and set free from original sin and from the corruption which was propagated by adam to all his posterity and that we are restored to the same righteousness and purity of nature which adam would have had if he had maintained the integrity in which he was created this class of teachers never understand what is meant by original sin original righteousness or the grace of baptism now it has been previously shown book two chapter one section eight that original sin is the depravity and corruption of our nature which first makes us liable to the wrath of god and then produces in us works which scripture terms the works of the flesh galatians chapter five verse nineteen the two things therefore must be distinctly observed that is that we are vitiated and perverted in all parts of our nature and then on account of this corruption are justly held to be condemned and convicted before god to whom nothing is acceptable but purity innocence and righteousness and hence even infants bring their condemnation with them from their mother's womb for although they have not yet brought forth the fruits of their unrighteousness they have its seed included in them nay their whole nature is as it were a seed of sin and therefore cannot but be odious and abominable to god believers become assured by baptism that this condemnation is entirely withdrawn from them since as has been said the lord by this sign promises that a full and entire remission has been made both of the guilt which was imputed to us and the penalty incurred by the guilt they also apprehend righteousness but such righteousness as the people of god can obtain in this life that is by imputation only god in his mercy regarding them as righteous and innocent eleven another point is that this corruption never ceases in us but constantly produces new fruits 
that is, those works of the flesh, which we previously described, just as a burning furnace perpetually sends forth flame and sparks, or a fountain is ever pouring out water. For compusescence never wholly dies, or is extinguished in men, until freed by death from the body of death. They have altogether laid aside their own nature. Book 3, Chapter 3, Sections 10 through 13. Baptism indeed tells us that our Pharaoh is drowned and sin mortified. Not so, however, as no longer to exist or give no trouble, but only so as not to have dominion. For as long as we live shut up in this prison of the body, the remains of sin dwell in us. But if we faithfully hold the promise which God has given us in baptism, they will neither rule nor reign. But let no man deceive himself, let no man look complacently on his disease, when he hears that sin always dwells in us. When we say so, it is not in order that those who are otherwise too prone to sin may sleep securely in their sins, but only that those who are tried and stung by the flesh may not faint and despond. Let them rather reflect that they are still on the way, and think that they have made great progress when they feel that their concupiscence is somewhat diminished from day to day, until they shall have reached the point at which they aim, that is, the final death of the flesh, a death which shall be completed at the termination of this mortal life. Meanwhile, let them cease not to contend strenuously, and animate themselves to further progress, and press on to complete victory. Their efforts should be stimulated by the consideration that after a lengthened struggle much still remains to be done. We ought to hold that we are baptized for the mortification of our flesh, which is begun in baptism, is prosecuted every day, and will be finished when we depart from this life to go to the Lord. 12. Here we say nothing more than the Apostle Paul expounds most clearly in the sixth and seventh chapters of the Epistle to the Romans. He had discoursed of free justification but as some wicked men thence inferred that they were to live as they listed, because their acceptance with God was not procured by the merit of works, he adds that all who are clothed with the righteousness of Christ are at the same time regenerated by the Spirit, and that we have an earnest of this regeneration in baptism. Hence he exhorts believers not to allow sin to reign in their members, and because he knew that there is always some infirmity in believers, lest they should be cast down on this account, he adds, for their consolation, that they are not under the law. Again, as there may seem a danger that Christians might grow presumptuous, because they were not under the yoke of the law, he shows what the nature of the abrogation is, and at the same time what the use of the law is, this question he had already postponed a second time. The substance is that we are freed from the rigor of the law in order that we may adhere to Christ, and that the office of the law is to convince us of our depravity and make us confess our impotence and wretchedness. Moreover, 
as this malignity of nature is not so easily apparent in a profane man who without fear of god indulges his passions he gives an example in the regenerate man in other words in himself he therefore says that he had a constant struggle with the remains of his flesh and was kept in miserable bondage so as to be unable to devote himself entirely to the obedience of the divine law hence he is forced to groan and exclaim quote, o wretched man that i am who shall deliver me from the body of this death Close quote. romans chapter seven verse twenty four but if the children of god are kept captive in prison as long as they live they must necessarily feel very anxious at the thought of their danger unless their fears are allayed for this single purpose then he subjoins the consolation that there is quote, now no condemnation to them which are in christ jesus Close quote. romans chapter eight verse one hence he teaches that those whom the lord has once admitted into favor and engrafted into communion with christ and received into the fellowship of the church by baptism are freed from guilt and condemnation while they persevere in the faith of christ though they may be beset by sin and thus bear sin about with them this is the simple and genuine interpretation of paul's meaning we cannot think that there is anything strange in the doctrine which he here delivers End of section 28. Recording by Guero.